Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to today's edition of the Wisdom of the Soul class. I'm Michael Benner, but I bet you knew that. Our class today is going to be about karma. And I think uh, most of us, even though we live in the West, are familiar with the concept. It's part of our pop culture. But we'll dig in a little deeper today and uh, discuss the principle of karma or the law of karma as cause and effect. And further, as a cycle. Karma, like everything else, is a cycle. Maybe it's just me, but lots of times, due to the tendency that we all have, I think, to think in binary terms, either or, all or nothing, all differences are opposites. <laughs> You're either with us or against us. You know, the basic subject-object split. Good guys and, and bad guys. So we sort of lay everything on that line. Our politics and uh, just everything, left or right, um, conservative or progressive. And so cause and effect, we, we lay that on the line, just like a timeline, you know, the past or all those negative numbers to the left is zero and the future or all these positive numbers that roll out to the right of zero. A horrible model, just a horrible model. And it would benefit us to consider why clocks are round. Why do we make a clock round? Because <laughs> time goes round and round. It's a measure of the planet spinning around and around as it spins around the sun and the sun and the solar system slowly revolve around the galaxy, which revolves in a cluster of galaxies and on and on and on. That's what energy does. It cycles, it spins, it rotates. Look at a weather map. The high pressure, low pressure. They're giant weather systems that spin. The wind under the wings of a bird or an airplane, for that matter, is spinning. That's where the lift comes from. Or uh, the wake off the back of a boat. Everything spins, everything cycles, everything goes round and round. And so it is with karma. And we'll talk about that today. Cause and effect as a cycle. And uh, I think in the newsletter, I. I used the title, It's All Good, Karma, It's All Good. So we'll also take a look at what we mean by bad karma and is there, <laughs> is there really such a thing as bad karma? 
Maybe we shouldn't judge karma as good or bad either. What if it were all good? And uh, it's also not a system of reward and punishment. So uh, we'll talk about that too. So let's do our opening meditation. If you get comfortable in your chairs, close your eyes and just bring your awareness into how it feels to be in your body. Say to yourself, one is forming the intention to return to wide awake. Two is a sense of floating up or waking up or drifting upward toward the waking state. Three is eyes open, wide awake, back in the room. Take a big breath, big deep breath. And maybe a little stretch. I always like to stretch after a meditation. Back in the room. Feeling fine, rested, refreshed, wide awake, alert, back in the room better than before. Good. When we talk about karma, when we talk about conditions rising and falling, we're really at the heart of the matter of both personal development and transpersonal or spiritual development. I've made the argument in these classes and will continue to persist in my strong feeling that without emotional intelligence, without learning to manage our emotions, to understand them, and to uh, manage is really a good word. I'm a little uncomfortable with saying control your emotions. It sounds a little like repression to explore our emotional feelings. I think this is the reason so many people aspire to spiritual development and growth, but don't get very far. Because so many spiritual traditions, particularly organized religion, for all that it has to offer, overlooks the need to tame the beast. We are, after all, in animal bodies. And much of our behavior is animal-like and needs to be refined. And unless and until we begin to work with our heartache, our upset, our frustration, our or anger, our envy and jealousy, our, our loneliness, our sense of, of alienation. Get a better understanding of what the unconscious mind is trying to communicate to us through these feelings. I have a feeling. The Beatle tune, I got a feeling. We talk about this, but not often deeply. What do you mean you've got a feeling? Well, I just sort of feel like it's a non-logical process. A couple of months ago, we did several weeks, two or three classes on the differences between thoughts and feelings. You can always go back and review that in the uh, YouTube channel or the podcast. Uh, both searchable as the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School 
Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. You'll find the YouTube channel and the audio podcast as well. And review the distinctions between thoughts and feelings. To understand our feelings is just essential to spiritual growth. And so we've done a bit of that. We'll continue to do a bit of that. But I bring it up now because of the way our feelings rise and fall. And again, a lot of it is hooked to a particular uh, circumstance or happenstance or some event that occurs. And so that's why I feel the way I do. Um, the loss of the queen is curious because of what she represents. And I don't suppose any of us have ever met the queen. Um, you know, I've, I've been to England on a couple of occasions and looked at the palaces and, and uh, toured Windsor, enjoyed it had mixed feelings about it. I, I've always had mixed feelings about the monarchy. But with the death of the queen this week, I think we're getting a sense of the importance of tradition and just sort of the way in which the monarchy, although it doesn't really have any power in England, is a backbone. A tradition is a, a scaffolding or a structure upon which the society is built I interviewed uh, a great anti-war activist, a medical doctor from Australia named Dr. Helen Caldicott on several occasions in the 80s. And uh, she said to me once, America would be better off with royalty. And I said, why? Why would you say that? Why would we, why would we want a royal family in America? In the United States, she said, well, then you'd have someone to love unconditionally and you'd be harder on your politicians. So you had feelings in learning about the death of the queen, even though everybody knew she's, what, 96 or something? And, and uh, her mother lived to 103 and her husband just died a few months ago. He was in his 90s. Good genes in that family, I guess. Good doctors, good food, <laughs> they're doing something right. So whatever feelings those brought up for you, they rose spontaneously. Um, although in this case, here's an event, here's a circumstance. And still the feelings rose. Today's 9-11. 9-11. Hard to believe. What would it have been 21 years ago? Those airplanes flew into those towers. Very strong feelings around that event. But the event was, as they say, 21 years ago, and yet just me mentioning it will bring up feelings, emotional feelings, as well as thoughts. But they rise up, don't you see? Many of them connected to an event, but... Many of our thoughts and our feelings are not connected at all. They rise on their own. It's as if uh, that old saying about we only use 10% of our brain or we're, we're only 10% conscious and even then on a good day. There's this huge unconscious mind. Like the 90% the of the iceberg that's submerged that you don't see that is generating these thoughts and feelings that bring them up. 
And so we're often, we wonder, why do I feel this way? Why is this happening to me? And this is where we begin to talk about karma. Now, I said this a few minutes ago, I'm going to repeat it. Karma is not a system of reward and punishment. We need to look very carefully at our use of the phrase good karma or bad karma. It, it makes sense in a real simplistic way uh, to say that there may be good karma, better karma, <laughs> worse karma, bummer, this is bad karma. But when I suggested in the newsletter this week, karma, it's all good, it is in that this is a principle, this is a fundamental foundational principle, a law of the universe like gravity or electromagnetism or thermodynamics. It's just a law, it's a principle, it's the way things work. This is widely believed in the East. It's fundamental to Vedantism, which is more cultural than religious, sort of the philosophy of uh, India, Hindustan, that part of the world. The Brahmanism and Hinduism that came out of that, based on karma. Buddhism, which spun out of Hinduism, Karma is a fundamental belief in Buddhism. Taoism, which is similar to Buddhism in many ways, yet uniquely Chinese. Taoism from Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching. Um, karma is in Taoism as well. Uh, Confucianism, also Chinese, hints at it at the very least. Jainism, Sikhism. Who am I leaving out? A few others. All, all, this is not debatable in, in, the, in the East. And again, as these philosophies have been better known in the West through teachers like, uh, you know, Alan Watts or Gary Snyder or, you know, the other, the other books that in the 1950s with the Beat Generation and the hippies in the 60s, Many of them, especially when psychedelics became popular, many people turned to Eastern philosophy and sort of discovered this whole concept of karma. Karma is cause and effect, and it is a cycle. It goes around and around. It's, it's like a daisy chain in that any particular event or circumstance, an event or circumstance, a condition, as it's more commonly called. It's just a condition. Is an effect or a result of some previous cause. Things happen for a reason. And so behind the rising and falling of happenstance and situation and circumstance, there is some reason some cause, even if you don't know what it is. 
things don't just happen. There are reasons why things happen. They have causes. Well, that cause of this effect may be an effect of a previous cause. So while it cycles round and round, you can sort of daisy-chain your, your way back. Um, let's see if I can give you an example of cause-effect, cause-effect, cause-effect. Um, about, uh, oh, I don't know, 16, 18, maybe 20 years ago, there was an enormous tsunami. It killed hundreds of thousands, I don't know if you remember this, but hundreds, something like a quarter of a million people, hundreds of thousands of people were killed in uh, the Middle East and all through Asia uh, as a result of this enormous tsunami that came ashore in that part of the world. That tsunami had a cause. It was an effect that was caused by something. Well, the cause was a big earthquake in the ocean, under the ocean, <laughs> in the earth under the ocean. And that big jolt, that earthquake, caused the tsunami to rise. So the earthquake was the cause, the tsunami was the effect. But what caused the earthquake? So when I say daisy chain our way back, the cause of the tsunami was the earthquake, but the earthquake is an effect of some previous cause. And that would be the pressures that the surface of the earth are uh, experiencing as a result of gravitation, uh, the moon going around the earth, the earth going around the sun, these gravitational forces are so significant that we recently found out with that flyby of Pluto. You imagine we built a, a <laughs> we built a ship and loaded a camera on it and flew it by Pluto, and uh, we thought it would just be a dead rock like the moon. Instead, it's got volcanoes on it. It's active. It's generating heat. Way the, way the hell out there. Surprise, surprise. So the center of our Earth planet is a molten core. It's very, very hot. And you might think that it would cool off and run out of steam eventually. And it would if it were not for these tidal forces, these gravitational forces that lead to continental drift and uh, earthquakes. Those of us in California know earthquakes well. So the earthquake was the, or these these forces were the cause of the earthquake. The earthquake was an effect of these gravitational forces, but it was the cause of the tsunami, which was an effect. And you can do this with anything in life. You can daisy chain your way back, cause, effect, cause, effect. Karma is the same thing. And the word means action. Karma means action. But it describes both ends of the action, the cause and the effect, the stimulus and the response. You can't do anything without it having an effect on everything. There is, uh, I forget who brought this up initially, but it's, 
for a couple of decades now, it's been called the butterfly effect. This idea that uh, a butterfly could flap its wings in China and uh, the result is a tornado in Kansas. And people go, well, that's ridiculous. That's absurd. What are you talking about? How could a butterfly in China trigger a tornado in Kansas? Well, it's not that it happens directly. Like, if the butterfly didn't exist, then that tornado wouldn't be. It's just that everything touches everything. Everything is part of everything. So as remote as this connection may seem, this particular cause and effect, it's still it's a signal. It's a, an indication of a contributing factor or, or an influence. So while that tornado in Kansas was influenced to some extent by the butterfly in China, there were thousands of other factors that contributed to it as well. But the weather rises and falls, doesn't it? It comes and goes. A high-pressure area rolls in, spinning in one direction. And uh, you have nice weather for a while, but it's going to be followed by low pressure. Sometimes it's real slow and the weather will get stagnant and not change for a while, but sooner or later, the yin and the yang of it, there's going to be a low-pressure area that comes in and maybe brings cloudy skies or maybe some rain. And you know that'll be followed by a high-pressure area. Sunny days will return. The barometer rises on a nice day and and it falls. And it always, it, it, everything cycles. Cause and effect, stimulus response, round and around. There's nothing that we do that doesn't affect everything else. That's the bottom line. And karma is not limited to action. It's not just a physical behavior or the action the work that we do in the world, uh, parking the car on the street instead of in the garage, and then somebody plows into your car and wrecks it, and you say, oh, only I put it in the garage. Uh, You know, I guess it's my karma. There's some reason that that happened. It's it's a consequence or, or a result of things in my life. It's simple and mundane as it may seem to be. But karma is not limited to the action that we take, which causes an effect or stimulates a response. It's our speech. And it's not just our behavior and speech. It's our thoughts and feelings that behave according to the principle or the law of karma. Our thoughts and our speech, as well as our behavior and our actions, generate a particular karmic outcome or effect. And it's not just our actions and behavior, our thoughts and feelings that generate karma. I think most importantly, we need to recognize that intention is at the source of all of this. Intention is such an important concept and so 
commonly overlooked. If we feel guilty or ashamed of something that we've done, and I've had many instances where private clients have come to me tormented by something that they've done. They have a guilty conscience. They're ashamed of themselves, maybe even humiliated, self-humiliated by what they did and just filled with regret. And one of the things that I would say to them routinely, at some point anyway, is, well, are you the person that did that horrible shameful, regrettable thing? Or are you the person that now feels badly about it and wishes you hadn't done it? And if so, you could learn from it and vow not to make that mistake again. And that offers most people a lot of relief. It's like, yeah, why am I identifying with the bad guy? Oh, I know. (laughs) It's because my parents told me I was bad over and over, and the church told me I was bad over and over, and politicians scare me, and advertisers scare me, and they all tell me that, uh, what did Mick Jagger say, my my shirts are not white enough, can't get no satisfaction. Oh, we've been inundated with your bad, you're weak, you're wrong, you're stupid. So we latch on to that identity, I did this bad, regrettable, horrible, I'm so ashamed of myself. Hey, the fact that you feel bad about it, that you wouldn't do it again, means that's who you are. Identify with the remorse and with the awareness that you've learned or you could learn or you're in the process of learning. And so that speaks to the whole idea of intention. Can you change your intention? That's really a fundamental level. Yeah, I I see that I hurt that person by saying what I said the way I said it. Was it your intention to hurt them? No. No. I no. Didn't well then let yourself off the hook. Because ultimately karma is generated by your intention. More than by the thought or the feeling or the speech or the behavior. It's the intention that reveals who you are and generates the karma, the results, the life that you will live two minutes from now, two years from now, a couple of lifetimes from now. Right? I think that's real important. You're not the person that made the mistake. If you look at your intention and say, yeah, well, that was a mistake. I I wish I hadn't said it that way. Maybe, you know, if I'd just taken a few slow, deep breaths and allowed myself to cool off, I wouldn't have been so reflexive and, and might not have reacted in such a regrettable way. Or maybe you didn't say anything. You just carried the hurt and the heartache and tormented yourself for hours or days or weeks on end over these feelings you can't seem to put down because you just feel so bad. Badly. (laughs) What's your intention? Ask yourself, but what was my intention? 
And then you can do that with other people, see? You're so angry at Joe or Sally because they did this insensitive thing and they said this horrible thing to you. And uh, how could they be uh, so cruel? How could they talk to you in such a mean way? Why don't they get it together? Why would they direct all that hostility and nastiness at me? Just because I was there and had something to do with it, I didn't deserve to be talked to that way. Well, as you get better at taking responsibility for your own intentions, then you can ask yourself about other people and their intention. What was their intention? You can ask if you have that kind of relationship and if they're aware enough to have any idea what you're talking about. What was your intention? Did you intend to, well, actually stop there. <laughs> Did you intend to, that's sort of argumentative. Just what was your intention? Why? Why did Why did you say that? Um, and it's easier to forgive someone that says, look, I, I didn't intend to upset you or frustrate you or hurt you or put you in your place or... Uh, explain to you the the error of your ways and why you're so stupid and, <laughs> and irritating me. No, that was not my intention. We can take this a little further. I won't, but there is such a thing as an unconscious intention, you know, like somebody deeply steeped in psychology would say, well, Consciously, they did not intend to do something, but unconsciously, yes, that was their intention. We'll leave that for now. It's just, if you look at your own intention and, and understanding and even forgiving yourself, letting go of the hurt, that's what forgiveness is, just putting it down. It's something you do for yourself. Even forgiving others is really a gift to yourself. It just means I'm putting the hurt down. I'm not going to I'm not going to drag this around forever in a day. And when we do, we have to ask ourselves, why am I still carrying this around? And of course, it's because there's lessons embedded in it. There's an opportunity to learn embedded within it something really wonderful about yourself. So as we get better at looking at the roots of karma, the cycle of cause and effect, in the intention behind the thought, the feeling, the speech, the behavior, it's easier to do that with other people, look at other people with compassion for their suffering, and then they don't run you. It's not easy to do, to look at someone who is trying to frighten you trying to manipulate you, trying to hurt you. And recognize that they do that because they suffer. Someone who's trying to frighten you, not in all cases, sometimes this is studied, like marketing and advertising. That is a well-studied use of fear. Um, to manipulate you, to buy something you probably didn't know you wanted and could do without, that you don't really need. But we get afraid somehow. 
So that's deliberate, that's purposeful, that's well studied. Um, but that's not always the case. Quite often, people are not aware or, or fully conscious of the reason why they are frightening you, why they are trying to frighten you, why they are using fear. But to recognize that the people that are trying to frighten us are frightened. The, the, the people that are trying to dumb us down with fear and make us less aware are coming out of a place of very low awareness. Misery loves company. Stupid loves stupid. Unconscious embraces unconscious. Right? At least we all agree So a lot of forgiveness comes from compassion and recognizing the suffering in the people that hurt you the most. Intention. I think that's where, where we need to begin our understanding of, of karma. That, the idea that everything touches everything, everything is a part of everything, and that everything you do is karmic. Every condition you experience is karmic, and every action that you take generates karma. And again, I understand the idea of good karma and bad karma, but just don't be locked into this idea that every incident is either good karma or bad karma. What about in-between karma? <laughs> what about an event or circumstance and condition that rises up that has both a, a reward and a heartache enfolded within it. And maybe both are beneficial. See, when we say karma, it's all good. It's not really punishment and reward. It's opportunity to learn because we're arguing here or, or at least implying that the purpose of life is to grow and evolve. And how else are we going to grow and evolve but to be presented with the consequences of our behavior? Again, speech, feeling, thought, and fundamentally intention. The consequences of our intentions. And if they're good, then, you know, you enjoy that. And if they're bad, then you suffer that. But that has an overall benefit in it that you're presented with the consequences. You know, you're not punished by bad karma. You're shown that there's a better way to do this. Uh, now, there's a lot of examples. I want to go to the Q&A, and, and I hope you have some questions about karma and how it plays out in your life. In the moment, there's something, you know, like instant karma, every... Again, everything is everything. Everything touches everything. We talked about imminent and transcendent uh, last week. The, the idea that divinity or the Godhead or the source of the creator is in its creation, but the creation is in <laughs> the, the Godhead. Imminent and transcendent, both things are true, that the one life is in every little apparently separated bit, all of which are in the one life. And that both things are true. That's panentheism. Well, 
you know, somebody tripping on acid might say, everything is everything, man. That's their ultimate uh, LSD revelation, realization. Everything is everything, man. Santana even did a song in the 60s, everything is everything. What does that mean? It means every seemingly separate thing actually touches on every seemingly separated thing. There is no disconnect, only an appearance. There is no separation. It's just one thing. So the butterfly, the butterfly effect and the tornado in Kansas is an extreme example of the fact that you can't do, say, think, feel in a way that doesn't affect everything around you. So let's take some ownership of that, some responsibility for that. A great deal of what happens to us in our life comes or seems to come at us from the surrounding conditions, but how much of it is made out of the way we view and respond to what comes at us? We don't tend to look at that side. Life is what you make it. No. Life is what's done to me. That's where most of us live. It happened to me. They did it to me. I'm upset because of this or that, this situation, this circumstance. It was done to me. Yeah, but isn't the bulk of it really in, in the way you look at it and the way you respond to it? And again, if you go to in your, your interpersonal relationships, look at your own intention and the way you initiate an action or respond to an action from a point of view of, well, what was my intention? Then it'll be a lot easier for you to do that with other people. So I want to go to the Q&A in a minute. Hopefully you'll have some questions or responses about this. I love the Q&A and it's the only reason we do this live so that we can get some uh, some response from you guys. So no bad questions. I hope you speak up. Just put a note in the chat box to Melinda that you have a question or maybe type out in a very concise, brief form the nature of the question, and we'll do that in just a minute. Karma, the cycle, cause and effect. If we knew as we become aware that everything is karmic, then that's going to change us. <laughs> that's going to make us much more responsible and allow us to recognize the working of karma in our lives. Very simply said, if you are generous in this life, you will be prosperous in the next. If you are cruel and miserly and, uh, and hostile in this life, then... Uh, the consequences in the next life will will be such that you'll have to experience the well the consequences of that. You're going to have to recognize the cause effect relationship even across lifetimes. But I think it's best if we don't think of karma only in terms of my next life. But how how about uh, the next minute? the next day make it much more personal 
that funky mood you're in is your karma. The problem that you can't seem to solve that is haunting you and following you around is yours. You've conjured that up somehow. And it's for your benefit and in your interest. This is universally true. I don't mean you specifically. This is universally true. And as we aspire to be more ethical and more virtuous, I mean, what is spiritual growth? But an attempt to refine our animal nature to a spiritual nature, to be more virtuous, more loving, more kind, more inclusive, uh, of, of better humor, uh, appreciative of beauty and aesthetics, you know, the qualities of love, so to speak. They are many. And to respond to negativity with positive, to answer a threat, not with another threat, but with something that de-escalates the situation, to make understanding far more important than being right. Yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? Can we give up the need to be right? Is it really that important to be right at the end of the day? And to sacrifice understanding? Like by making the person who disagreed with you wrong, you failed to understand why they felt that way. Yeah, but they're wrong, Michael. And I know they're wrong because it contradicted me. And I've got to be right. I can't be wrong. I'm telling you the truth. This is the way it is in my world. And that's different. So it's not right. It must be wrong. I feel a conflict. Well, put all of that right and wrong judgment down and instead seek to understand. That's, that's huge. Make that our intention. I intend to understand you. I may never reconcile this conflict in our relationship. I'm going to do my best to form the intention and carry through my intention to understand what you... Understanding, I mean, what else is there but understanding? This is spiritual growth, to understand. It's personal growth, understanding. It's a synonym for consciousness, for being aware. What else do we call that mind that is conscious, that is aware, that is sentient? What is that process? But understanding, not simply gathering knowledge, but understanding. I have a hierarchy in my book, Fearless Intelligence, on the evolution of understanding. It's not mine. I borrowed it from the business world. It's a kind of a hierarchy or a pyramid. At the base is the collection of data. And uh, that's sort of like words. And above that is information. That's sort of like phrases and sentences. And above that is knowledge. And that's where we put the sentences together as paragraphs, chapters. Building understanding. Data. Information. That is telling us something now. Knowledge. Data, information, knowledge, and the capstone is wisdom. D-I-K-W is what I call it in my book, the D-I-K-W hierarchy, an evolution of understanding. I understand this data, not very well, it's just data, it's just numbers, like 
those fields you fill in in a form. But having filled out the whole form or read the whole form that somebody else filled out, now I have some information on you. And if that process continues, eventually it develops to knowledge. But as Einstein said, I think this is a great quote, any fool can know things. The secret is to understand them. So understanding is superior to knowledge. I mean, understanding, again, runs the gamut. May not understand much, now I understand a little more. What is the evolution of consciousness or, or higher consciousness or expanded awareness? But to experience more and understand it, to put it together, to see the connections and the principle of karma of cause and effect and its cyclic nature that includes all things at all times is central to that understanding. And, and again, the idea of intention, of karma coming more from intention than anything that results after that. That should help you forgive yourself and to be more compassionate and forgiving with other people. And that's a process, onward and upward. <laughs>